Welcome to the Cancer Care Connect workshop. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. During the workshop, you will hear from our panel of expert speakers. We will allow time for questions and comments following the presentation. Instructions will be given at that time. If anyone should require assistance during the workshop, please press star, then zero on your touchtone telephone. As a reminder, this workshop is being recorded. I would like to introduce your moderator for today's workshop, Dr. Carolyn Messner, Senior Director of Education and Training at Cancer Care. Please go ahead. Oh, well, thank you so much, Emma, and I would like to welcome everyone to today's program, Metastatic Triple Negative Breast Cancer Strategies to Cope, and this is part one of Living with Metastatic Triple Negative Breast Cancer. Today's program is made possible by the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation, an independent grant from Merck and Company, Inc., and Gilead, and we really want to thank them for their support of this program today. Now, we have a lot of people on the call today. There's over 350 participants on the call today. You, you come primarily from the United States, from both urban, rural, suburban, and frontier communities. And we also have a number of um, international participants as well, from Algeria, Canada, Egypt, Ghana, Kenya, Laos, Sweden, and the United Kingdom. So it is indeed a global call as well. Um, and we're delighted to have all of you on the call today. And now it's my pleasure to introduce our first speaker. And our first speaker is Dr. Clinton Yam. Dr. Yam is Assistant Professor, Triple Negative Breast Cancer Working Group Leader, Department of Breast Medical Oncology and Translational Molecular Pathology, University of Texas MD Anderson Cancer Center. Dr. Yam will be addressing updates on the treatment of metastatic triple negative breast cancer in the context of COVID, seasonal flu, and RSV. He'll also be addressing novel treatment therapies, and clinical trial updates, how research offers additional treatment options for metastatic triple negative breast cancer. It's really my great pleasure to, to introduce my esteemed colleague, Dr. Yam. Thank you, Dr. Messner. Um, thank you all for having me on this call today. And um, as Dr. Messner mentioned, I'll kick off this call by uh, first addressing updates on the treatment of uh, metastatic triple negative breast cancer in the context of COVID, seasonal flu, and RSV. We will then transition to talk a little bit about novel treatment therapies in triple negative breast cancer. And finally, we'll wrap up this first section of the call with uh, clinical trial updates and how research offers additional treatment options for patients with metastatic triple negative breast cancer. So um, for the first topic, as you may be aware, uh, triple negative breast cancer is a type of breast cancer that lacks the expression of um, hormone receptors or the HER2 receptors. And historically, chemotherapy has been the only treatment option for triple negative breast cancer. However, in recent years, we've seen an emergence of newer and more targeted therapies that can benefit patients with triple negative breast cancer. These include immunotherapy in combination with chemotherapy, um, PARP inhibitors for patients with an inherited mutation in BRCA1 or 2, um, antibody drug conjugates, which are a special class of drugs that allows for more directed delivery of anti-cancer agents. Because many of these treatments can suppress the immune system, it is important to reduce the risk of infections while receiving therapy. And in the specific context of COVID, seasonal flu, and RSV, measures that we would recommend are, number one, practicing good hand hygiene, two, 
trying to stay away from crowded places and sick people, and thirdly, get vaccinated whenever possible. As you may know, uh, the FDA has just approved uh, two different types of vaccines for RSV uh, for patients who are above 60 years old. The new COVID vaccine is also now available, as well as the flu vaccine for this fall season. So I would encourage all patients who are on some sort of treatment for triple negative breast cancer to get vaccinated. One question that we get very commonly is what is the optimal time to get vaccinated while receiving treatment? And I would say it depends on an individual to individual uh, situation. But in general, I recommend in patients who are getting chemotherapy to get the vaccination just before the start of a cycle. And in that way, your body's immune system is in the most recovered state and can react positively to the vaccine um, with increasing your chances of developing lasting immunity to the viral agent. The second topic that uh, we would address are normal, novel treatment therapies uh, for triple negative breast cancer. So immunotherapy in combination with chemotherapy was a major advancement in the treatment landscape for triple negative breast cancer. Pembrolizumab is a type of immune therapy known as an immune checkpoint inhibitor. By that, it's, it means that it's a class of drugs that takes off the brakes of the immune system, allowing the immune system to better see and attack cancer cells. This drug is FDA-approved for the treatment of patients with advanced or metastatic triple-negative breast cancer whose tumors express PD-L1, an immune checkpoint protein. PD-L1 is able to suppress the activity of immune cells, and pembrolizumab works by relieving the immune cells of this suppression, allowing them to better identify and attack the cancer cells. PD-L1 positivity uh, occurs in about 40% of patients with triple negative breast cancer, which means that the remaining 60% of patients with triple negative breast cancer have tumors that are PD-L1 negative and may not benefit from immunotherapy. However, there are other exciting treatment options in the field of triple negative breast cancer as well. So although immunotherapy has certainly been an exciting development in the field of triple negative breast cancer, other significant advances have led to improved outcomes for patients as well. One other significant advance is the use of agents that target the DNA response repair pathway. The DNA damage response pathway is an important pathway that enables triple negative breast cancer cells to repair damaged DNA and survive for a long time. Some patients with triple negative breast cancer have inherited mutations in the BRCA1 or 2 genes. In these situations, a class of drugs called PARP inhibitors are effective in killing cancer cells by limiting their ability to repair damaged DNA. These drugs are typically used in the second line setting after the cancer has become resistant to initial chemotherapy with or without immunotherapy. So the third class of drugs that we're all very excited about is a class of drugs called antibody drug conjugates. As a class of drugs, antibody drug conjugates, or ADCs for short, consists of an antibody which delivers anti-cancer drugs, which are called the payload to the cancer. So I like to think of the antibody as a truck 
and the payload as goods on a truck. The antibody is typically one that homes in on a protein that is highly expressed on cancer cells. After the antibody drug conjugate binds to the cancer cells, it gets taken into the cancer cell and releases the drug or the payload. And once released from the antibody, the drug can also be released into the tumor environment and eliminate cancer cells in the surrounding area, which may or may not express the target protein. This is important because not all cancer cells will express the protein that is targeted by the antibody, and this bystander effect allows the antibody drug conjugate to kill a larger population of cancer cells than it would normally would. In terms of specific ADCs, the FDA has approved sasetuzumab govitikan or Tridelvi, which is an antibody drug conjugate targeting a protein called TROPE2 that is highly expressed in many cancers. In patients who have received at least two prior lines of chemotherapy, studies have shown that compared to regular chemotherapy, Tridelvi has a higher response rate and significantly prolonged survival in patients with previously treated metastatic triple negative breast cancer. There is also early data suggesting that sasetuzumab covitikin has activity against cancer in the brain as well. There are ongoing clinical trials designed to see if sasetuzumab covitikin can replace regular chemotherapy in patients with previously untreated metastatic triple negative breast cancer. It is important to note that side effects that are common with chemotherapy, such as nausea and low blood counts, are observed in patients receiving these ADCs carrying chemotherapy payloads as well. In addition to TROPE2, HER2 has also emerged as a target for ADCs in triple negative breast cancer. About 40 to 50% of patients with triple negative breast cancer have tumors that express low levels of HER2 expression, which are technically negative, but still lend themselves as good targets for ADCs targeting the HER2 protein because of the bystander effect that we talked about earlier. For this purpose, the antibody drug conjugate called NHER2 or trastuzumab durextekin is FDA approved. Finally, we'll talk a little bit about clinical trial updates and how research offers additional treatment options for patients with metastatic triple negative breast cancer. There are three main categories of clinical trials, namely phase one, phase two, and phase three. Phase one trials are trials that are primarily focused on establishing the safety and appropriate dosage of new anti-cancer medications. However, Newer phase one trials are also designed to look at how effective a new anti-cancer medication might be. Phase two trials tend to be a little bit more focused on determining how effective a new anti-cancer medication is. But as we described, the line between a phase one and a phase two trial is starting to become a little bit more gray. A phase three trial is what we call a registrational trial meaning that it is a trial that is designed to gain FDA approval for a new anti-cancer medication. In a phase three trial, patients are generally assigned to two or more groups. One of the groups is called a control group, where patients will receive the standard of care, which is the current gold standard treatment that one would receive outside of a clinical trial in that particular situation. 
patients and the other groups will receive the treatments that are being evaluated against the standard of care. Typically, in a phase three trial, group allocation is random through a computer program, and physicians and patients do not get to choose which group to be allocated to. Clinical trials are a really good way to get access to new medications that are being developed for cancer. It is important to always ask your provider about the possibility of participating in a clinical trial, recognizing that a clinical trial may or may not be the right answer for each individual specific situation. As I always share with my patients, the standard of care is the standard because it is the best known treatment at this time. The drug that is being evaluated in a clinical trial may or may not be better than the standard of care, and that's part of the reason why a clinical trial is being conducted. Having said that, uh, clinical trials are a good way to get early access to promising compounds that are being developed for the treatment of cancer. So in summary, there are three main takeaways from uh, this first session. So first of all, immunotherapy, specifically anti-PD-1 immune checkpoint blockade, has been approved for use in combination with chemotherapy in patients with triple negative breast cancer whose tumors express the PDL1 protein. The second novel treatment takeaway is that targeting the DNA damage response pathway has demonstrated promise in triple negative breast cancer in patients with inherited mutations of the BRCA1 or 2 gene. And finally, antibody drug conjugates represent an emerging class of anti-cancer medications that will likely significantly improve outcomes for patients with triple negative breast cancer. And with that, I thank you for your time and really appreciate you having me on the call. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Yan. That was really an outstanding presentation, a stellar presentation, and you really set the stage for today's program. So thank you so much for covering um, these important topics and really, um, so thank you, thank you so much. Um, and our next speaker is Dr. Ajit Bizan, and Dr. Bizan is Assistant Professor, Department of, of Medical Oncology, Department of General Oncology, the University of Texas MD Anderson Cancer Center. And Dr. Bizan will be addressing biomarkers, diagnostic testing, genetics, and genomics, why they are so important in selecting your treatment choices, the role of precision medicine in improving treatment decisions, and sequencing of treatments. It's really my great pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Beeson. Thank you, Dr. Mesner. Um, so I do have a joint appointment with the Department of Breast and Medical Oncology and the Department of General Oncology at uh, University of MD Anderson. Uh, I believe Dr. Yan did, did such a great job in uh, opening up the stage for the discussion of metastatic triple negative breast cancer. So I will add to that. Um, with these uh, topics that were mentioned, uh, first we will discuss biomarkers, diagnostic testing, genetics and genomics, and why they're so important in selecting your treatment choices, the role of precision medicine, and then how to sequence these treatments. <clears throat> now, first, um, you know, not all breast cancer is the same. It's so broad. Um, and first, we need to uh, figure out what type of, what subcategory of breast cancer we're dealing with. And how we do that is by assessing biomarkers. Specifically, biomarkers are these receptors uh, that are expressed on 
surface of the breast cancer cell that we um, look for. Generally, these are hormone receptors such as estrogen receptor and progesterone receptor. We look for HER2 receptor. And if uh, all of these are negative, uh, then the tumor is classified as triple negative breast cancer. Um, now, we do have a new subcategory of uh, breast cancer that's considered HER2 low. Uh, so within triple negative breast cancer, if the HER2 is either um, expressed at an immunohistochemistry level of zero, IHC zero, or IHC one plus, and additional testing called FISH negative, then this would be considered HER2 low. So in summary, uh, triple negative breast cancer is estrogen receptor negative, progesterone receptor negative, and HER2 negative or HER2 low. Diagnostic testing is important in um, assessing the, the extent of disease, uh, such as in, um, you know, you can, you can do um, imaging with PET scans, um, CT scans, bone scans, and this will help in assessing the extent of the stage four disease. And genetics and genomics testing is also very important. Dr. Yam had uh, uh, mentioned PARP inhibitors. These are targeted medicines that go, that affect the uh, DNA repair pathway. Well, how we find out about this BRCA mutation uh, is by doing genetic testing. And these are inherited mutations that we have targeted medicines for. And lastly, genomics testing is generally referred to when we, when we are assessing mutations, um, tumors for mutations that have developed after uh, the tumor um, uh, came about. So these are not inherited mutations. So when the genetic testing is done and there are mutations that are inherited, those are referred to as germline mutations. And mutations that tumors develop over time, those are referred to uh, as somatic mutations. So why are they so important in selecting your treatment choices? Well, um, again, as Dr. Yam had mentioned, for metastatic triple negative breast cancer, we can utilize chemotherapy, we can utilize immunotherapy, we can utilize targeted therapy, and we can utilize antibody drug conjugates. Um, uh, there is one approved immunotherapy drug currently um, for triple negative breast cancer, that's pembrolizumab. Um, for the targeted therapy, you have those PARP inhibitors, oral pills. Those are, one is called Olaparid, one is called Telesoparid. And then for the antibody drug conjugates, there are two medicines. One is called Sasatuzumab, and the other one is Trastuzumab, Durex-Tecan. Uh, the landscape of um, metastatic triple negative breast cancer is changing. Yes, we, we, we tend not to have more targeted options because we're not able to block certain receptors, but it is still a growing field with rapid changes and exciting changes uh, coming about. Um, I had mentioned 
two antibody drug conjugates? Well, just, uh, uh, just yesterday, uh, there was a conference in Europe um, that reported another antibody drug conjugate that is showing um, some benefit. Um, so, and that benefit is in um, what we call progression-free survival, so uh, very effective treatment. Um, so, so as we assess the biomarkers, those help us uh, determine what type of breast cancer we're dealing with. Diagnostic testing helps us with the extent and following it over time, and then genetics and genomics testing helps us with uh, then transitioning into precision medicine. Precision medicine generally then uh, focuses on personalized and uh, really assessing the tumor at the molecular level and looking for mutations and any sort of targeted therapy you can utilize for that. Generally, precision medicine will help you uh, enroll patients into clinical trials and evaluate the patients uh, for certain criteria that are um, required for clinical trial employment. Um, lastly, sequencing of treatments. Again, metastatic triple negative breast cancer is treated with the general four categories of medications that I've mentioned. Uh, usually, if it meets criteria for immunotherapy, which is defined by PDL1 CPS score greater than or equal to 10, that is considered PDL1 positive and we can utilize the drug pembrolizumab in combination with chemotherapy. So if PDL1 is positive, generally first line we're treating the patients with uh, immunotherapy and chemotherapy combination. If the PDL1 CPS score is less than 10, then we start the patient with chemotherapy. Second line treatment, if there is um, um, a germline BRCA mutation in their genetic testing, then you can utilize targeted therapies such as the PARP inhibitor medications. And ultimately, you're left with the um, just chemotherapy only uh, and antibody drug conjugates. Uh, I'd like to summarize by saying that biomarkers, uh, genetics, genomic testing, precision medicine, uh, is very important in determining the sequence of treatment. Uh, and this, this landscape is changing very rapidly. And uh, uh, a clinical trial enrollment should always be considered and encouraged. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Beeson. That was really outstanding. Just a stellar presentation as well, and just a this wonderful, wonderful presentation. And um, I know there'll be questions for you during the Q&A, so thank you, thank you so much. And um, our next speaker is Dr. Ariel Hiki, and Dr. Hiki is a breast medical oncologist, Levine Cancer Atrium Health, Charlotte, North Carolina, and she will be discussing tips to prevent and manage treatment side effects, symptoms, discomfort, and pain. Guidelines to prepare for telehealth, telemedicine appointments, including technology, prepared list of questions, and discussion of open notes, and key questions to ask your healthcare team, including lifestyle and quality of life concerns. It's really my great pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Hiki.
All right. Well, thank you so much for having me today and lovely to speak with everybody on the line. Um, I think I kind of have the, the fun job with, with the topics that we have because this is really, um, you know, a big part of the meat of what comes up in the clinic encounters. These are the things that are affecting day to day. Um, so I'll start with tips to prevent and manage treatment side effects, symptoms, discomfort, and pain. Um, while as your treating providers, we're always on the quest to provide therapies that are going to extend life. Um, you know, that always has to be balanced with the toxicity. And as we're thinking about your treatment plan, we're, you know, trying to select one certainly that's going to minimize those toxicities, especially if this is a, a lifelong journey for you. Um, you know, I'd say one thing that is important in uh, metastatic triple negative breast cancer or any advanced cancer is going to be to involve palliative care early. Um, I think a lot of times there's a misconception about palliative care um, being associated with hospice or um, kind of that, that thing in the distance that you don't want to bring any closer to your personal story and your personal care. Uh, but the reality is palliative care specialists, um, while they do help with the transition hospice, they really are, um, you know, the experts at symptom management. Um, whether that be pain from a, a particular area of, of tumor or, you know, the multitude of side effects can go, that can go on with our therapies. So potentially getting them on board sooner, um, they're going to be the most up-to-date with new literature about um, medications that, or, or non-prescription you know, therapies that, that can be helpful. Um, in terms of prevention, it's, it's a little bit tricky uh, to prevent some of these side effects, but I think there are some, some kind of do's and don'ts. Um, chemotherapy, as, as we have heard, is, is certainly a mainstay for metastatic uh, triple negative breast cancer. It's exciting that there's some other um, kind of more target therapies now available, but, but still a lot of what we provide is certainly chemotherapy. Um, so what are some things that you can do to try to mitigate side effects on chemotherapy? I think one thing is really to speak up. Um, so if you start having a, a symptom of concern, whether it be neuropathy, diarrhea, um, debilitating fatigue, if your providers don't know um, the severity of what's going on, um, you know, they obviously will, will continue with, with therapy as is, whereas you really might benefit from a dose reduction. Um, there's also a lot of additive things that you can do during chemotherapy to, to try to mitigate those side effects. In terms of neuropathy, um, icing of the extremities can be helpful. Um, there is literature in this space, um, and kind of anecdotally, when we have patients incorporate incorporate this into their treatment, it does seem to stabilize uh, the neuropathy and, and not have as much worsening of neuropathy. And essentially, the, the concept of this is that you're cooling down your hands and your, hands and your feet, um, causing a degree of vasoconstriction so that less chemo is getting to those you know, very fine nerves in the ends of your fingers and the ends of your toes, where um, patients tend to be most susceptible to neuropathy. Now, if there's neuropathy that's, that's affecting, you know, more central parts of your body, um, for example, if you had a herniated disc that's now kind of more irritated on chemotherapy, we can't quite get to those spots, but certainly for the hands and feet, this can be quite effective. Um, additionally, adding scheduled fluids um, can be helpful as well, whether that be the day of treatment to almost um, 
dilute in a sense, you know, this, this medication that's going in, so it kind of disperses more, um, more evenly throughout the body, but also certainly after chemotherapy, we can have patients come back, you know, maybe a week after their treatment just to get a little, a little boost, and um, that might also include some nausea medications through the IV. Um, and then I think another kind of important concept with this topic is, you know, what is all the damage that was potentially done to you before a particular treatment regimen? So, for example, was there surgery previously? Was there radiation previously? And, and you know, what are the sequelae of those things? And, you know, I think it's important to be aware that there are typically uh, support services, you know, for example, occupational therapy, if there's an area of particular tightening after a breast surgery. Um, there's also providers, you know, often doing things like acupuncture or dry needling to try to really help with kind of particular areas of more musculoskeletal pain. Um, so sometimes, you know, just letting your provider know, hey, I'm having a symptom, you know, the provider's the one that's maybe holding that knowledge of what, what services are available to you at that center. Um, and then maybe one last comment on this section would be, um, while we don't typically pursue uh, radiation in more advanced disease, um, we do certainly pursue it if there's a, an area of pain. So, um, for example, if, if a patient develops a particular, you know, nagging pain in, in the hip, um, that is a, a, an opportunity to radiate that one area to help alleviate the symptom. I think I'll next shift to the topic of telehealth and how to prepare for these appointments. Um, you know, telehealth was really important during, during the pandemic, but it still remains a useful tool now that we're, you know, further away from the chaos of COVID. Um, you know, telehealth can be quite helpful if it's, it's a discussion that's needed rather than a physical exam and blood work. Um, you know, for example, if there's an update on imaging and you want to talk to your provider about, you know, next plan of care, um, sometimes that doesn't necessitate an in-office visit. Um, so it's nice to be able to do a little bit of both. And certainly if, if travel is uh, an issue, um, being able to incorporate these visits periodically is, is a huge benefit. Um, there's also been a little bit more activity in terms of kind of international telehealth. Um, or, you know, patients that maybe live in one state and look, would like to see a provider in another state, um, there are now opportunities to do that through telehealth. Um, you know, I think some of the things that we run into when we do try to carry out telehealth visits is, you know, having good connectivity is very important. So if you have the ability to kind of check that connection, um, make sure that you're in an area that is, you know, relatively quiet and maybe even has wired um, internet connectivity that's going to help for a more uh, successful clinic encounter. Um, this also comes up quite a bit where, um, especially if you're using your phone, you have to allow the program that's going to be carrying out the virtual visit access to your camera and audio. Um, because if you accidentally hit no uh, to either of those items, um, you won't be able to have that, that meaningful connection with your provider on the other end. And then the last thing I just wanted to mention is that, unfortunately, providers are usually behind in clinic. Um, and this typically is the same with virtual visits. So um, in the same way that, you know, we all often go to our providers kind of prepared to wait a little bit, maybe we bring a book or a Sudoku, 
um, unfortunately, it's the same idea with these virtual visits. So it's a good idea to um, have something to do, whether it's balancing your checkbook, um, returning emails, you know, waiting for that, that provider ultimately to connect. Um, and then I guess I'll, I'll comment a little bit on this open notes uh, issue. Um, also a blessing and a curse. So all of these topics kind of have good parts and bad parts, but open notes is essentially um, this real-time release of your results. Um, at the institution that, that I am currently uh, working within, uh, we release our results to patients in real time. So as soon as a pathology report comes through, the patient gets a notification through their email that there's a result to view. Um, this sometimes occurs after hours. This sometimes occurs over the weekend when, unfortunately, the patient may not have the ability to um, call their provider, you know, to get advice. Um, whether or not to, you know, open these items uh, from a patient perspective, I guess I would say it, it somewhat depends on your relationship with your provider. If you know you have a provider that's going to get back to you pretty quickly, um, you know, then maybe it's okay uh, to, to take a look at those, those documents, start, start to digest what you're reading, acknowledging that there's going to be some things there that maybe don't make sense and that your provider will review that with you. Um, if that, you know, brings some level of discomfort, uh, having to review these results without having, you know, a doctor describe them to you, typically you can also ask um, either the provider directly or the you know, personnel carrying out that test, whether it be the imaging suite or a biopsy suite, to not release those results uh, to you. Oftentimes, the programs um, have the capability to, um, to put a hold on that information. Um, and then you can also kind of plan ahead and ask your provider, you know, I've got this result coming up. Um, can we schedule a visit? You know, maybe this is a great opportunity for a telehealth visit to make sure that we have the time and the space to review these results together. And I would, I'm, I would imagine any provider would be happy to, to do that with you and for you. Um, and then the last uh, section to discuss uh, this afternoon would be key questions to ask your healthcare team, including lifestyle and quality of life concerns. And I think a lot of this, you know, we've kind of already discussed in terms of speaking up about side effects um, and our desire with you to prioritize quality of life along with aggressive treatment because, you know, we know your number one priority is to extend life if you're, if you're continuing to work with us in the clinic setting. Um, but, you know, I think some things to, to, to think about as you approach each of your clinic visits would be to come prepared with a list of questions. Most patients will, um, you know, keep a log in their, in their phone about side effects that, that perhaps happened over the last couple of weeks. It's helpful also to have a timeline of the symptoms because that will help the provider really assess uh, the best way to intervene with supportive medication potentially. Um, another excellent question that we, we love to hear because sometimes um, in the heat of the clinic encounter, we may not have time to address it, um, would be, are there clinical trials I can participate in? Um, I think that's been a theme through today's programming, that there's always exciting um, opportunities for patients in the clinical trial world, especially in triple negative breast cancer. Um, there's, there's many, uh, many researchers, many industry uh, partners um, trying to really come up with new and exciting therapies for patients with triple negative breast cancer. 
Um, perhaps another important question for, for the healthcare team would be, what are some of the long-term side effects um, with the therapy that, that I'm signing up for? Um, you know, with a, with a strong relationship with your provider, you, you might be game to, you know, proceed as recommended, um, but it's also important to know, you know, what, what should I expect in the short term, which is typically what's, you know, discussed as the new therapy is introduced, but also longer term, i.e., is this neuropathy going to be long term, or what are the heart side effects from this medication? Um, and then in terms of quality of life, I think, again, this is where palliative care can be quite helpful. Um, it can also be helpful to um, ask your provider what sort of supportive services are, are available. A lot of larger cancer centers, if you have the opportunity to um, work with a larger cancer center, may have a whole supportive oncology division um, where you could uh, go to art classes, go to nutrition classes, um, go to sometimes even exercise classes. And if your center doesn't have a supportive oncology uh, division or service, um, there's often uh, opportunities within the community. Uh, for example, the YMCA, if you have a YMCA close to where you live, often offers um, personalized exercise program uh, for patients that have uh, any type of cancer. Um, support groups can also be very helpful um, to connect with um, men and women like yourself. Um, and, and certainly, you know, asking your, your healthcare team, whether that be the provider, the nursing staff, or if you have a navigator, um, they likely can, can point you in, in the right direction. So I guess my, you know, summary for these topics would be um, don't, don't be afraid uh, to ask your provider for um, assistance with side effects, um, you know, support services. Likely those things are there. Um, but if the provider or the healthcare team is not aware of the specifics of what you're struggling with, they may not know uh, what, to, what to offer you. Um, and that's it. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Hiki. That was really wonderful. Just a wonderful presentation and covering such an important topics that, as you, as you mentioned, do come up a lot in clinic and people that really, the management of treatment side effects is just so important for people's quality of life, and so thank you, thank you so much. I know there'll be questions for you during the Q&A as well. Um, and our next speaker is Ms. Haley Dinnerman. Ms. Dinnerman is a lawyer by training, and she's co-founder and executive director of the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation. And Ms. Dinnerman will, will be describing the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation's free programs, and um, I'm going to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Ms. Dinnerman, who actually is a, a partner on today's program, um, helped to get funding for this program and has supported a number, so, so many triple negative breast cancer programs. We have many more coming up, so um, you'll be hearing more about them later on. But, um, Ms. Gentleman. Thank you so much, Carolyn. Thank you also to my fellow presenters whose presentations were so informative, and of course to all of you listening today. This teleconference is one of many programs offered by the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation. And we have many TNBC-specific educational brochures and fact sheets that are available in print or as free downloads from our website. Like all our educational materials, these brochures have special sections addressing issues of particular importance to those of you living with metastatic disease. We work very hard to make sure that you can find relevant information and practical guidance in all of our materials, so I hope you'll use them to your benefit. 
Our website, tnbcfoundation.org, offers two free and TNBC-specific clinical trials matching services that are much easier to navigate than other portals. Our website also has a TNBC news section and online discussion forums. Our other online resources include two private TNBC Foundation Facebook groups which you can, where you can easily connect with thousands of women who are living with TNBC. These resources are here to help you and to remind you that you're not alone. Additionally, we have a number of monthly Zoom meetings for our TNBC community. Um, they are Metastatic Mondays, Tuesdays with TNBC Friends, and Thriver Thursdays. And in partnership with Touch, the Black Breast Cancer Alliance, we also have an additional monthly Zoom meetup specifically for black women. Our community Zoom meetups give you regular opportunities to connect with your peers and with the foundation. I'd also like to invite you to join the remainder of our October program called Breathe With Us, where we offer a selection of free virtual programs designed to bring you some calm and tranquility during Breast Cancer Awareness Month. And finally, this December, we will be at the San Antonio Breast Cancer Symposium to bring you information about new and emerging TNBC research. If you follow us on Facebook, Instagram, X, or visit our website, you will get regular updates and be able to register for these and all our other upcoming programs. So once again, thank you for joining us, and I'll now turn back the program to Dr. Messner. Oh, thank you so much, Ms. Dinneman. That was just um, a superb presentation and just a wonderful resource for all of you on this program today. Please do take advantage of it if you haven't already. It's just great. And our next speaker is Ms. Cassie Spector. She's an oncology social worker, and she's our breast and gynecological cancer program coordinator at Cancer Care. And she'll be talking about how to find the financial, emotional, and social supports to cope with metastatic triple negative breast cancer. She'll also talk about the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation's free services, including helpline, clinical matching trial matching service, and oncology social work support. And so it's my great pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Ms. Spector. Thank you, Dr. Messner. As mentioned, my name is Cassie Spector, and I'm the Breast and Gynecological Cancers Program Coordinator, as well as Oncology Social Worker at Cancer Care. My role includes working with both women diagnosed with metastatic triple negative breast cancer and their families, as well as developing programs and initiatives for our Breast and Gynecological Cancers Program. The Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation and Cancer Care have partnered together to ensure that those diagnosed with triple negative breast cancer have access to free psychosocial services and support. There are many aspects of a breast cancer diagnosis that could be addressed through psychosocial supportive services, including making informed treatment decisions, quality of life concerns, clinical trials, fertility options, as well as communication with one's medical team. The Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation has generously funded the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Helpline, which provides callers with access to comprehensive services. And some of those services include resource navigation services, counseling, educational workshops, such as today's program, publications, and limited financial assistance. By calling the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Helpline, Individuals are connected with an oncology social worker who is aware of the physical, emotional, and practical challenges that may arise when diagnosed with metastatic triple negative breast cancer. Individuals diagnosed with metastatic breast, triple negative breast cancer may choose to supplement existing social networks by joining a support group or engaging in counseling. Many hospitals, treatment centers, or nonprofit organizations offer support services as well. 
and joining a support group in particular can offer a chance for metastatic triple negative breast cancer patients to speak with one another, gather information, and provide support. Cancer Care offers both a metastatic breast cancer and triple negative breast cancer specific national online support groups, which are moderated by oncology social workers. Such online support groups aims to reduce feelings of reduce feelings of loneliness and anxiety, explore new ways of coping, increasing feelings of hope and empowerment, as well as providing practical information about treatment and resources and addressing ways to communicate with one's medical team and loved ones. You can register for an online support group through Cancer Care by selecting our services on our website and then going to our support groups and you'll see a list of our different support groups there to register. Individuals may also experience practical and financial concerns through one's treatment. And please know if you are encountering such financial hardships, there are organizations that may be able to help you. Cancer Care also offers resource navigation, which is a short-term strength-based approach service for patients and for caregivers affected by cancer nationally. A trained specialist will work with the client in connecting, with, connecting them to resources referrals, and financial assistance. If you are interested in learning more about the services that the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation and Cancer Care offer, I encourage you to call the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Helpline, and that phone number is 877-880-8622. And our oncology social workers can share additional information about our services and can help you explore ways to connect with others, including getting connected with a support group, financial assistance resources. And it has been a pleasure to be part of this workshop. Thank you so much for your attention. I will now turn the workshop back to Dr. Metzner. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much, Ms. Spector. That was really outstanding and just a wonderful resources that you've gone over with everybody. And I know there'll be questions for you during the Q&A as well. And now we're going to move on to the Q&A, and I'm going to ask Emma to bring all of our speakers on board, and we're going to have the questions begin. And Emma will explain to you how to um, post your questions. Thank you. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, at this time, we will take questions from the web only. You may submit questions by clicking Ask a Question. So the question um, is a question um, for Dr. Yam. If a triple negative patient becomes metastatic, should she have a baseline brain MRI? That's a good question. So in general, the guidelines recommend that we would do a brain MRI only in the presence of symptoms that might suggest um, metastatic disease in the brain. However, in my practice, because we've been seeing more and more patients with uh, brain metastases, for the most part, I do do a brain MRI at, uh, at the start before starting any treatment for metastatic triple negative breast cancer. Excellent. Thank you. And another question um, for Dr. Beeson. If a, triple, if, if a triple has brain mets, how can she best find a clinical trial? Dr. Um, Beeson, if you could address that. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, so. At every step, uh, you know, diagnosis or progression, really clinical trials are always the, the right answer, if available. So um, 
you know, hey, talk to your provider. Talk to your provider. We at our uh, institution, we have a running list of active trials. Uh, there are different participating institutions. Uh, you can go to, uh, you know, you can search for clinical trials online. Uh, but generally, you would start out with your physician um, and then see where these, uh, look at the logistics of the clinical trials, what, what's available for you. Um, I, would, uh, I would also add that, you know, clinical trials have eligibility criteria and historically, you know, not many had included patients with brain metastasis, but now more and more trials are adding patients with um, stable brain metastases. Excellent. Thank you so much. Um, excellent. And another question from one of our participants, um, uh, Professor Hickey, why is radiation not effective during, not effective in destroying metastatic cancer cells and only used for palliative pain? That's a great question. Um, part of the issue with radiation is you have to hold the medical therapy during that time because the combination of the two is uh, too toxic. Um, it can make the radiation more toxic to the bone marrow or the tissues that it's radiating. Um, and then, you know, just the combined toxicities of the chemotherapy and the radiation together in terms of the side effect experience can be too much. Um, so if we don't think we're going to meaningfully um, offer extension of um, kind of disease response or, of course, survival, um, by providing the radiation, we don't want to halt the medical therapy that is, you know, by its nature going throughout the whole body, passing through all of your blood to get all of the areas. Um, there are also some limitations to how much you can radiate. So, you know, as I was kind of making that comment, you know, I figured maybe the next question would be, well, why don't we radiate multiple areas at the same time and kind of take care of business and then get back into the medical therapy? And unfortunately, again, you can't because of toxicity. Um, so our concern is that um, there, there can certainly be disease that doesn't meet the eye on imaging, um, and you would be kind of leaving all of that exposed um, if you focus completely on the radiation during that time. Excellent. Thank you so much. Um, and this is another question um, for Dr. Yam. If they do a PET um, CT, is that a replacement of the brain MRI upon diagnosis? So the, the short answer to that question is no. The reason is because a PET CT um, uses the PET contrast, and, and it, it relies on uh, tissue uptake of glucose. So tumor cells light up on the PET scan because they take up a lot of glucose and they use a lot of glucose. In um, the brain, the brain cells, also, normal brain cells use a lot of glucose, and so the uh, brain tends to light up in, in a PET scan very brightly, um, and doesn't mean that there's cancer there. Um, and so it's, very, it's much harder to see brain uh, lesions that are related to cancer on a PET scan because of that reason. And so I would say no, a PET scan does not take the place of a brain MRI for looking, for evaluating the brain for any potential cancer lesions. Excellent. Thank you. Um, and um, a question for Dr. Beeson is, Cryotherapy with immunotherapy showing promise. 
As a standard of care, uh, cryotherapy is not currently used. Um, if, uh, and my recommendation would be to search for any clinical trials that may be utilizing cryotherapy. Um, and I, I do want to add um, a comment about the previous uh, question I had answered about uh, how to go, you know, about uh, searching for clinical trials. Clinicaltrials.gov is a great resource online where patients themselves can find uh, studies for their type of cancer. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you so much. And um, and this is a question for Dr. Hikate. What if Keytruda and Chadolvi both didn't work so far. Is that more common than not? Um, well, I guess I would say that uh, for many of our patients, we run into that problem where a therapy will work for a period of time, and then we will see that the cancer cells figure out some way to grow around that therapy. So. Um, that is probably the more common experience. Um, you know, I guess the caveat would be there are some patients that get a little bit more of a durable response to therapy than other patients. Someone might get, you know, 12 months of response to Tridelvi, where another patient may not, uh, you know, get more than three months. Um, but most patients are uh, progressing through both of those therapies. Um, I mean, the the good news is chemotherapy does work beautifully in triple negative. Um, there certainly are um, some triple negative breast cancer, you know, subtypes that also are a little bit more resistant to chemo. Uh, but, you know, while chemotherapy is not um, new and shiny, it does uh, still work very well. And we have many options um, within kind of the chemotherapy bag to pull on to help that patient that maybe isn't um, getting that uh, response to the more, you know, targeted therapies that we're attempting to use in triple negative. Oh, thank you so much. And um, for Ms. Spector, could you just comment on the support groups we have for triple negative breast cancer, um, people living with triple yeah, negative so, breast cancer? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we do offer online support groups, and these are available nationally. These are online message board groups where you can read other people's posts and post yourself, and they are moder moderated by social workers. So like I mentioned before, you can go onto our website, cancercare.org, and go to our support groups, and on there you'll see our list of different support groups. Um, so we have one specifically for triple negative breast cancer patients, and then we also do have a metastatic breast cancer group as well for patients. And then for caregivers, we have a triple negative breast cancer caregiver support group. And these are all available nationwide. And then we do have some support groups specifically to New York and New Jersey residents um, as well that are live. So we do have a metastatic breast cancer group available um, as well as a women's cancer group. Um, so if you are interested in any of these support groups, you can go onto our website and you'll find more information on there to register. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you so much. And um, I just want to remind everyone that we have um, a triple negative breast cancer program next Wednesday, November 1st. Um, it's the American Society of Clinical Oncology annual meeting, triple negative breast cancer research updates from that meeting. Um, and then also we have uh, another um, 
another uh, uh, another we have part two of this series on November 15th metastatic triple negative breast cancer for caregivers coping with your loved ones triple negative breast cancer now I'm going to ask each of the speaker to provide a takeaway from today's program starting with Dr. Yam then Dr. Beeson Dr. Hickey Ms. Dinneman and then uh, Ms. Spector so um, do you want to um, Dr. Yam do you want to start Thanks, Dr. Messner. Yes, absolutely. So I think the main takeaway I would want to leave with you is that metastatic triple negative breast cancer is an area of active investigation, and there are many new therapies on the horizon. And so at every point in your treatment journey, be sure to uh, keep a close connection with your physician to ask about emerging therapies, potential trials that may be suitable for you, as well as um, in comparison to the current standard of care. Excellent. Thank you so much. And Dr. Beeson. Yes, um, thank you. So my main takeaway, I would say, is uh, first, you want to be able to identify that you're dealing with a triple negative breast cancer. So yes, the biomarkers and the diagnostic testing is important. Uh, triple negative metastatic breast cancer is treatable, and uh, we just need to remember the different uh, categories of medications. So you have chemotherapy, immunotherapy, targeted therapy, and antibody drug conjugates. And always remember that clinical trials um, are really the suggested uh, options as the first line if the trial is available. Thank you so much. Um, and um, um, Ms. Hickey. Yes, I think uh, you know the main thing to remember is your healthcare team is is your team. You know they're they're here to champion you. So. Uh, don't be shy um, to let them know what you're experiencing at home so that they can ultimately use the resources that we have in a healthcare setting to, to help you um, feel the best that you can through, through all of the treatments um, and their associated toxicities. Um, you know, I guess the other takeaway would be healthcare continues to modernize and adapt in different ways. And, and one, way is, you know, one way that that has occurred maybe in the last decade is kind of incorporation of some of these supportive services, acupuncture, massage, nutrition, um, exercise programs. Um, so there's a lot that's potentially at your fingertips um, um, uh, to ultimately give you a better quality of life. And of course, your, your healthcare team will continue to strive for you know, more quantity of life as well. Excellent, thank you. Um, and Ms. Spector. Yeah, so I would say the main takeaway is to reach out for support. If, whether you're looking for financial support, you're looking for support services, there are organizations that are there to help you and your um, medical team is there to help you as well. So reaching out for support and letting your medical team or calling organizations to let them know what you're looking for so that we're able to assist you any way that we can. Thank you, everyone. Oh, thank you. I want to thank all of our speakers. You've really been phenomenal today. This has been an amazing call. And I also want to thank all of our participants for asking such great questions. And I do want to get to the questions in a minute, but I have to say the combination of great speakers and great questions really made this call even so much better. And although we've done this program before, I have to say that it was really just today was probably most outstanding from all of you. Now, I do want to comment on the questions. Um, and for those of you who 
asked a question or have a question yet to ask, please take your question, even if you asked your question, back to your treating healthcare team. They know you the best. They have their your records in front of them. They know your, they have your chart. Um, and um, so ask the question again of your healthcare team. And remember, you've learned something from today's program. So take what you've learned. And when you ask your question, perhaps you'll be able to understand it better from the perspective of your healthcare team. Um, and keep asking your question. That's really very important. Um, and um, also, um, I also recommend that all of you um, find out who is on call on evenings, weekends, and holidays. That seems to be the time when things seem to be a problem for people. And so find out who's on call and who you can call during those times. It's really very important. Most importantly, we would not want anyone to leave this call feeling that you're alone. We want you to now know that you're part of the community support. You have the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation and Cancer Care and many other organizations out there. And we will be sending you all a um, Survey Monkey um, in a couple of days. And we will include all sorts of other resources for you. And any information that was shared during the call today, any websites that were given out, any phone numbers that were given out, um, we'll be adding those to that list as well. So again, I want to thank you all for your participation today. And I want to wish you all a very fine day. Thank you all. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for your participation. This concludes the workshop, and you may now disconnect. Everyone have a great day.